Welcome to the Allies Podcast. I'm your host, Carmen Farino. Hello, this is Carmen Farino, and welcome to another edition of the Allies Podcast. Um, with me today is Royce Warwick, the Senior Vice President, General Counsel, and Corporate Secretary at Selenis. Uh, welcome, Royce. Thank you, Carmen. Glad to be here. Um, I'm going to go through your your bio just a little bit, Royce, um, just to kind of lay out the things that you're involved in, um, because I think you're you're pretty active. Um, so if you give me a second, I'm going to embarrass you for a little bit. Um, but uh, you know, Royce is a uh, a graduate of Duke University and Villanova uh, Law School, and she is uh, also a advisory council member to Anne Welsh McNulty Institute on Women's Leadership, which I think figures prominently into um, the way Royce gives back and mentors. Uh, and she's also a member of the parents board for the Georgia Institute of Technology and the Forum of Executive Women. Uh, and, I, and I say that, Royce, um, because I know that you have a, a really keen interest, not just in succeeding yourself, but helping other people succeed. So I, I kind of want to leverage that and ask you, um, where'd you grow up? What were your parents like? Well, um, I grew up in a town called Willingboro, New Jersey. That's uh, uh, in southern New Jersey. We were, I don't know, about 25 minutes uh, from Philadelphia. And the, um, the community was um, sort of a, for a while, it was a commuter community. Uh, and also, uh, it was one of the first desegregated uh, communities of the, the, the Levitt uh, community group. Mm. And so when we moved in, it was just um, a lot of dirt roads. <laughs> <laughs> and not many neighbors. And so we were one of the first uh, residents of of Willingboro. And it was it was a great place uh, to grow up just in terms of just the, the neighborhood feel, uh, the collegiality of the people who live there and the fact that there were a lot of folks around who were looking out for uh, looking out for the kids in terms of um, just the, the the makeup of the town. And so who um, I and my, my brothers went to school with um, was was mixed um, to some extent. Uh, it was about uh, 30% uh, African-American diverse and mm -hmm. 70% um, white. Um, but it was, for me, um, it was just a, a great place to, to grow, to learn, to, to establish roots, um, to kind of be who you were and not um, feel self-conscious uh, mm -hmm. about it. Um, I, I have to tell you, and maybe this is not a great thing, but it, it is my reality, um, that I really didn't pay attention to uh, my race so much mm -hmm. until I was, um, until, I don't know what grade I was in, but um, uh, this will date me to some extent, but when Martin Luther King died. Mm -hmm. And it, it was at that point uh, that I realized that things were a little bit uh, different. I mean, we talked about things in my house, but not a lot. Um, but I do recall hearing uh, one of my classmates as I was walking home from, from school um, make a comment um, about the fact that um, 
let's put it this way, that his mother um, and his family, they were pretty happy about the fact that Martin Luther King had died. And he said it in a way that was, um, you know, not so nice. And so, uh, you know, my parents, my mother was at home crying um, all the time. And so it was at that point where I, I realized the difference, but I was never really made to feel um, as sort of an, an outsider. My, um, my brothers, and I'm the youngest of three, Mm-hmm. My brothers were older, so their I think their experience, particularly that my brother who was five years older, might have been a little bit more. Um, it, it may have been more different uh, for him. There's some um, of my 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 peers who I'm still very close to in terms of friends uh, my age who mm-hmm. had older a lot of older siblings, and so they saw different sides of Willingboro, uh, different parts, and uh, more uh, racial strife. Because I, I just did not see and feel that. And then just growing up in uh, in an environment where it was just all very warm and loving uh, and welcoming and uh, just my parents and my environment was one in which, uh, you know, I was just always encouraged um, to to go f- go for it always uh, and um, and expect and expect support and success. And um, so that was, um, that was a, a part, very important part of my, um, my upbringing. And um, my mother was a first grade teacher for over 30 years. And even now, this year, yeah. um, I still have <laughs> former students who talk about her impact um, um, on their lives. And uh, they still think of her uh, warmly, and and she she is a wonderful woman who was just so very giving, uh, and very devoted to her students um, as well as her family, uh, but always wanting to to give her best and and recognizing the difference that she could make in somebody's life. And uh, my father was the same way. He was he. People used to call my dad, who passed away uh, several years ago. They used to call mm-hmm. him the, the mayor of Willingboro. Of course, he wasn't. He never was. But, <laughs> but, but he. Everybody knew him, and he was just that type of person who could talk with anybody. Um, I used to tell people, I said, you know, my dad, my dad could probably have a conversation with the wall for a good hour, <laughs> and it would it would be just uh, fascinating <laughs> and really interesting. Uh, just his side of it. And so, but he was on the board of education and also very, very much involved in the community uh, with uh, the police athletic league with my brothers and, and young men uh, and boys uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of being a mentor for them and a father figure. And um, it was just that type of environment that I grew up in. And um, to this day there, we're still, there's still a lot of connections with, um, with my Willingboro roots and mm-hmm. the people who um, my parents touched and whose lives um, they touched. And, you know, it was uh, one of the s- starkest, I guess, reminders of how much influence and impact that you can have in someone else's life, particularly as a child. And then as you grow to an adult, uh, into an adult is that um, is where people come back and they just share with you how important you are to them, were to them. And yeah. uh, that, you know, that has, that happens. Uh, and that did happen when my father was living and it happens now my mother is still living. Uh, and it happened when my father uh, passed away, just having so many people come back 
from out of town or in town just to to pay their respects and also to talk about um, the difference that he made in their lives, including my husband. Um, really? Yeah. So Brian, my dad introduced uh, uh, me to my husband. Um, <laughs> so, and he was the best man at our wedding. Um, oh, my gosh. And, yeah. So they and they met through uh, my dad's uh his mentoring and his connection with sports and my brothers were in, you know, all kinds of sports, baseball, baseball, basketball, football. Uh, and so that was always out in the community, um, and just, uh, pushing for change. And he was a bit of a lightning rod, uh, and he didn't care. Uh, he loved, uh, just, just pushing and raising awareness and he was fearless and, um, and, and very gregarious. And so he <laughs> would meet people and, um, and he did connect uh, Brian, uh, who's my, my husband uh, and I, um, and he's the best man in our wedding. And they, st- uh, you know, he was just um, a very important part of our lives. And uh, all of us had a very close uh, connection between my, uh, my parents and Brian's mom and our, and our families um, to this day. Wow. What do you, what do you think, those types of parents who who really kind of spent their lives being mentors and enablers and uh, supporters of children, um, what do you think that left you with? What did you what did you take from from all of that as kind of a, an intrinsic part of who you are? Well, I a part of it is that I gained from that. Uh, and for my, my parents and also Brian's mother, who was very much involved uh, with him and his uh, and his sister and the community. And then she, too, was uh, a mentor and a mother to um, their network as they were growing up in their community and their uh, their group. Mm-hmm. But what it does, it just it is an anchor that establishes uh, and allows you to uh, to have roots that allow you to be uh, fearless in terms of going for it um, because you know that, and whatever it is, uh, because you have that confidence that's been instilled in you um, throughout your life. And then you see your your parents giving the same thing. They pour into you, but they poured into others. Mm. And so that selflessness, is something that was just second nature. And while you're living it, it's just, you know, the way it is, mom, dad, and the yeah. family, and it's a good thing. But when you, as you, you know, you get older and you, and you mature, you recognize just how critical it was to have that solid foundation and that anchor um, that really um, empowered you uh, to go beyond um, maybe who you might have otherwise thought you would be and what you could do. And, and, um, and it it was just um, a true enabler of uh, building confident people, myself and my brothers. I want to, I want to stop you there because you reminded me of something and I I think I I can almost guarantee that this happened with you. Um, My father was a baseball coach and he had a difficult kid, a kid who was, um, had a bad attitude, was hard to work with and, he was going, the, the parents were going through a divorce and my father was a positive reinforcement person. And as a coach, he 
he got this kid to come out of his shell and to lose his anger and actually be a positive influence on the team. <laughs> and the mother came mm-hmm. back and said, can you help him with his homework? <laughs> um, <laughs> because, and, and what, can you remember a point in your life where you realized that your parents um, were actually having an impact beyond the family? And, and what did that, what did that feel like when you realized that? Well, I have to say I was um, probably in terms of a a conscious awareness of it, it, I was in college Um, and um, I could see it, but I never really thought about it other than the fact that they just, the people gravitated towards our home Mm. um, and towards um, our our family and the, the guys were hanging out at our house and, um, and were my, my friends. And, um, if people had something that they wanted to, to talk about, uh, the guys, then they mm-hmm. would, you know, they're talking to my, my dad about it, even maybe before they talked to their parents about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother, um, I, she always, and this was a, that really resonated for me again, later, just how much care and intentionality that she put into the preparation of her class mm. in August, getting ready for a September school year. Mm-hmm. And my friends and I, we always wanted to be there to help, um, to set up, but she was very deliberate about what she was doing and why, about how she was setting up the the math displays and how she was setting up the, the history displays and what she was using for the, the social study uh, displays. And, and it was just what you did because you were, and you wanted it to be excellent. Um, mm. But then just thinking about it later, you, you, and I understand more and appreciate more that it was, um, yeah, the drive for excellence, but it was very intentional um, in terms of what she wanted to impart. Um, and the culture that she wanted to build in that room for those students and how she could make a difference in their lives. And um, we would talk uh, often um, as, as I got older, as time passed, things, uh, the dynamic um, within her classroom changed in terms mm. of the um, how children presented themselves in mm-hmm. the classroom and it got to be more challenging. Um, and so she really took that so much to heart in trying to uh, do even more with engaging with the parents and getting the, uh, the parents to, to be on the field, if you will, and be present mm-hmm. um, and a partner with her um, in um what she knew their, their children needed. And so seeing that you, you recognize and understand that the power of, again, being very tenacious, but also recognizing the value of collaboration and the mm. fact that you, you can't do it on your own uh, and, and knowing uh, what someone in your care uh, needs and just never giving up. Uh, and just be willing to not only did the dynamic in the classroom change, uh, change, but also outside. So the, the interaction with the parents sure. got a little bit more challenging, if you will. Yeah. And w- but she and- did, she didn't change. I mean, she stayed, she <laughs> stayed there and, but she, and she was so kind, uh, but nevertheless, it was still harder. 
Well, that's her grit, right? I mean, she's right. she's not gonna she's not gonna give up, but she's also trying to to allow these children to be their authentic selves. That's right. That's right. And she recognized so much in them, right? She was with them, mm-hmm. um, just like you know, we we work all this uh, so many hours a day, right? We spend so many waking hours with uh, uh, our coworkers, and now many of us, uh, some of us are you know, at, ha- at home doing the same thing. But when mm-hmm. uh, COVID aside, you spend so many waking hours um, in a certain setting. And so she knew that she had several hours of that day um, with the, the children in a very focused way where she could make a difference in their lives and impact them. And it, you know, it just still makes me uh, want to cry uh, mm-hmm. when, when children, first graders who are now, you know, they're in their thirties uh, and they remember her. Um, and what uh, the difference that she made uh, in their lives. And she did that for over 30 years. So there's so many people's lives who she, um, who she touched in a very positive, positive way. And that's a huge part of her legacy. Well, but that, that's got to, um, it had to have impacted who you are and, and who you wanted to become. So, so give me a sense of, um, of why you wanted to be a lawyer um, and, and why you, you kind of felt like that was a a place where you could really shine. Well, I'll be honest. I, uh, I wanted to be a doctor from Mm -hmm. the time I was, I could remember. I I had to been four or five. I was very young. I was going to be an OBGYN. Okay. Just like my, just like my uncle, my mom's brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was going to be a doctor and, um, went through high school, still going to be a doctor. Uh, you know, I actually like, uh, just love this chemistry. I love the biology. I love all this. Stuff. And then I got to college and it started getting more real in terms of what you actually had to do. Mm. And the fact that, you know, my stomach to this day can't take, um, I just don't do well with, mm-hmm. uh, with goriness yep. and, and with blood. And I'm thinking, what are you thinking about? This can't possibly be, um, what you're, what you think you're going to do and how you can actually make an impact. But I did, I wanted to, um, help bring life into the world and I wanted to take care of, um, women. Um, and, and then I just shifted gears and I didn't shift it in a way that was, um, specifically targeted for women. Um, but I wanted to figure out, um, what I was going to, to do after college. And I knew that, um, I needed to, and I wanted to, uh, go beyond the four years in college. Um, that, that was just the beginning for me. I wanted, uh, I wanted something else. And so mm-hmm. I just decided I was going to go to law school. There was nothing, uh, really deep about it. I didn't ponder it. I just decided, well, <laughs> hmm. Um, I think I'm going to go to law school as opposed to getting my PhD because that, you know, that's probably about five, six years. <laughs> <laughs> and I would rather, um, I'd rather be uh, gainfully employed um, in short, in a shorter period of time. And so yeah. uh, that's, that's why I chose law school to tell you the truth. It, it's kind of funny when we make these decisions. I was, uh, I had a choice between a master's degree in, uh, in literature and writing and a PhD. And I, didn't choose to go to Penn for the PhD because I had to learn old Icelandic. <laughs> I, and I just thought, well, Come on, Carmen. it's true. <laughs> and you, I mean, <laughs> it would have been really awesome at parties, but I couldn't figure out how to work it into my, my general life. 
<laughs> and I'm like, I, I just can't see myself spending a year you know, in old Icelandic courses. But, but, <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because there's a, you know, I've worked with you for probably 11 years. Um, and what I found is that the, the way that you approached the law was through the, the value of people. And uh, I'm going to tell a little story here that I, that just blew me away. But we were, I think we were in a negotiation and the opposing side, we were trying to go through a contract negotiation and these people left the building at the end of the day and they left behind all of their documentation of what their negotiating strategy was on a sideboard. And I believe you saw it and you stopped you made sure the door was locked and you called these people up and said, I think you left this critical document here. And they came back and said, um, and you said, you know, nobody's touched it. We've left it here. It's, you know, on our honor. And they said, thank you so much. That could have, you know, destroyed everything that we did. And that type of behavior, that's the type of stuff that, you know, when they talk about character, it's what happens when nobody's looking. Um, that continually over and over with you, impressed me. And it didn't matter if it was a little thing or a big thing. You always came at it from what's the human impact. And to be the voice in the room as a lawyer, to have that additional facet is, is huge. So why do you think you do that? Because it's unusual. For me, it's, it's natural. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think it is a part of um, uh, a, a large part in uh, due to what I saw and what was given to me as, you know, when I was growing up, that uh, people cared and valued about what, what I thought. Um, and there, there's a right and there's a wrong. Yeah, there's some gray in there. You certainly learn to, to navigate that. But in my mind, um, there was uh, fundamentally with most things, uh, there is what's right and what's wrong. And now how big those buckets are for any given issue mm -hmm. just depends. But there's usually, you usually know where that line is. And so um, for me, it was very natural and would be uh, against my nature, quite frankly, um, to behave in a way that um, is, to me, just doesn't... Um, doesn't really feel good uh, from mm -hmm. an integrity perspective. I just, that's just not who I am. Well, well, let me, let me take it from a, from a different tack because right now in, in the world, when I look at black lives matter, when I look at people, um, you know, being attacked um, for no good reason, um, that idea of, you know, there's a right and a wrong, <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a black and a white to, to these issues. How do you respond to that? How, how do you, you know, how do you process that level of um, injustice or, um, or, or behavior? Well, I mean, it depends, I guess, on the context. If you're, um, I, I do, I do think that in certain contexts that there truly is a, a right and a wrong. And um, so in the context of Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. I I struggle um, with those who can't see their way to understanding what that means. Um, I know what uh, that it has become sort of a, a tagline, and some you know it's been co-opted by 
different groups for things that just aren't um, what it truly means. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, and so if I have a conversation with people about sort of peeling away all of the the stuff mm-hmm. fundamentally, um, I, having a conversation with someone who um, doesn't appreciate why that matters to someone, I, you know, I struggle with, but at the same time, I, I want to, sometimes I, it doesn't, um, it doesn't so much, quite frankly, matter to me to try and change their minds hmm. uh, because, you know, you, I'm, you, I'm tired. Um, but, <laughs> but there are people uh, who, you know, who it, it matters that I hear them and that they hear me. And so, and I think that that is important to have conversations where there yeah. is no judgment um, so that we can have a real conversation because I know my reality and my perspective are mine and they are not, um, people's realities are just different. They bring different um, sensibilities and different experience sure. and culture, all this stuff to the table is all different. And so being able to have uh, some conversations with people who think differently um, is, is a, a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I tell you, I mean, fundamentally I, it's, I will always struggle with someone who can't see it when you peel away all the stuff, mm-hmm. why um, there is a need to talk about the value of humanity in everybody and how um, that, you know, and how that has dissipated. Yeah. And I don't understand how one could see um, what happened. There's so many examples, but I don't understand sure. in this uh, time, um, how anyone could see, you know, eight minutes and 46 seconds of yeah. George Floyd um, and know what happened with Breonna Taylor and not have uh, a feel a collective loss of humanity and, mm. and the fact that that, that happened um, and, and why there's a need to step back and think that that's not who we should be. Um, as human mm-hmm. beings, forget, you know, where we, where we're born or where we come from, what we look like. Mm-hmm. That's just fundamentally, um, I can't get past that, quite frankly. There, there's a, there's a piece in there. I mean, I always, I, I jokingly say you can be ignorant or arrogant, but you got to choose one. Yeah. You can't be both. <laughs> you know, yes. it's a pretty tough position in the world to be ignorant and arrogant. Um, and so I, I do tr- usually try to have a litmus test. If if somebody is arrogant about something and they know their stuff, okay, well, fair enough. But if you're ignorant, um, then I then I have to decide whether um, I think I can help you understand something. And by the same token, can you help me understand something? Right. And I and I think that you know if you're a white male and you see that your place in the world is changing and you know there's there's going to be a minority majority, then I can understand you having you know, some anxiety. And especially if you're a working class person who's seen their jobs degrade or their jobs go away, you know, as a son of a welder, I get it. Um, But there's another side of it that bothers me more. And it comes back to kind of your mom. Um, There's, I feel there's a decided lack of empathy. Mm -hmm. And that once you draw a line between us and them, and you establish an other, that there are people that it just doesn't matter what happens to the other. And I don't know if I was ignorant, if I was blind to this, and I just didn't see it, or if it's gotten worse. Do, do you see that? 
Um, I don't know that it's gotten worse. It's just become more conspicuous uh, mm. and conspicuously evident in a lot of situations where um, I just think it's always been there. But um, I think that people behave in a way that they believe is sort of okay under the circumstances and what's mm. uh, acceptable. And that uh, landscape has shifted. Um, about that behavior and just how much of that, uh, as you say, lack of empathy I'm willing to share. And people are much more willing to share it. And so now you, you see it and you make a determination as to who you want to have a conversation with about it um, to to see if we can't just talk and, and learn from, from each other because um, it, it gets hard. I mean, I, <laughs> I was having, uh, I was, when, we were at home. We are back in the office now at my company. But when I was working from home during all of this, uh, the the strife uh, and uh, the the initial aftermath with uh, with George Floyd's killing, I you know was having a, a meeting and I had my laptop uh, speaker on as opposed to having the headphones on. And mm-hmm. one of there's a comment that was made. I won't get into specifics. Um, but it uh, it was a clear lack of understanding and empathy. And mm. my youngest daughter was walking through the kitchen and she heard it and she <laughs> looked at me um, in a way that I, I just kind of waved her off at that point because I was in the middle of a meeting. And I knew exactly what she was thinking. Um, and and it was uh, um, it was just that. It was the lack of empathy, but it was also, from my perspective, a, uh, a, a different reality mm-hmm. uh, that someone else has lived through. Yes. And so I can't challenge that. It is what it is um, in terms of what you have, what your experience has been, what your life experience has been. Um, but if I could talk to you and say, well, listen, I, I've thought about it this way. Uh, and this is the way I think about it. For instance, um, having the discussion about um, what I think most black parents, a conversation that most yeah. black parents have had with their kids. Um, I don't know that that has happened with uh, in the U.S. talking about mm-hmm. has happened with uh, with my my white friends and mm-hmm. um, or or colleagues and their children and people, you know, you hear about it and say, but it's just, it's, it's men and it's women, it's girls mm-hmm. and it's boys. And having that conversation about where you keep your hands, you get stopped, you go a little too yeah, fast, yeah. you get stopped, you're speeding. Oh boy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, don't make any sudden movements. And you have those conversations uh, and you know how you're supposed to behave. And I, you know, it, there was an instance where Brian and I were in the car together and we were um, going through a neighborhood and, you know, we were going that fast, but we were going above 35. And so, mm-hmm. but the conversation, I was in the passenger seat and I had that conversation with him. He knew it, but I still said yeah. it. Um, look, just look on the window, window and be, you know, he was going to be affable and all that stuff, but I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to make any sudden movements. It was daylight. So that was good. Yep. Uh, and not move until they, uh, to get anything out of the glove compartment until mm-hmm. they ask us to. Uh, and you just think that way. And I, I've been stopped 
um, coming from Selenus and going over the Betsy Ross Bridge. Um, uh, I was stopped and, um, you know, we're going a little, uh, going probably five, 10 over as well. Um, it pulled me over and I, it was still daylight and I was grateful. Um, and, you know, we had the conversation and off I went, but it is, it happens. It will happen all the time. And, mm. and so what you don't want is to assume that it can't happen to you. Uh, because the minute you uh, let your guard down, then um, then it could be something tragic that actually happens. Because all of this, these these incidences, they start so innocuously. And yes, how does it how does it end up there? And so you know, so so I have for people who are willing to hear that and kind of trying to to understand that reality is. Uh, but I can you know make a decision about whether or not I'm going to. Uh, go in further to have a conversation. If not, well, then I don't. Well, so I want to, I want to go back because I think we, you're right there. There's only so much time in the day <clears throat> and you, you have to be judicious with both your time and your energy, but there are, um, there are instances where you're, you're going to make sure that you spend the time and that's usually with your kids. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about your daughters. They are, um, you know, they're starting to kind of spread out, right? They're going to different places. They're, yep. they're experiencing different parts of the world. Um, what do you think they are dealing with now that maybe you didn't deal with? Or what skill set do you see that you try to instill in them as, as you, you lose that kind of direct touch on their day-to-day -day lives? Well, they, they are because they have to be in just uh, in this environment and they're just based on their ages. They're 19, 23 and um, 26, um, almost 27. Um, so they are more disciplined in terms of how they, they operate, uh, you know, in the context of um, interaction, interactions with, you know, they're going a little too fast or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, or they have their their uh uh inspection sticker is a uh, it's a month late you know mm -hmm. you're in the middle of january and it says december um that they they know how to behave and um and their their mindset is also um so they know that mm -hmm. um they know they, they're much more conscious um i think than maybe i was um and more um, active in what they want to do in terms of participating in um the process of, of change uh, and even protests. And so, you know, I, I get that and I want them to do that as well. I want them to, to explore that in a way that um, uh, doesn't sort of jeopardize and compromise their safety. Mm -hmm. um, so thinking of ways to, to make that a reality. I mean, my daughter and she's in San Diego, my oldest, and she's, I, you know, I talked with her one morning, so it was about one my time. Mm -hmm. So it was 10 her time. I'm just saying, hey, what's going on Saturday? Oh, I'm getting ready to go to a protest. <laughs> <laughs> you are? Yeah. I didn't know. I had no idea. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I couldn't stop her. Number one, she's 26 and she's in mm -hmm. California and she's got her mind made up that she's going, even though it, um, that, that, protest was at the front end of um, all of uh, 
the the unrest. And so it was just, mm-hmm. there was so much uncertainty and it was very volatile and it still is in places. Um, but uh, but she, she just felt really strongly uh, about that. So they have mm-hmm. a different sense and a sensibility of, of how they can contribute and how they can, how they can make, um, make a difference. Yeah. I mean, that, that's funny because my, my son did the same thing. I'm like, Oh, where are you going? I'm going to a protest. Where are you going? We're going to Osage Avenue. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's like graduate level protest. I mean, you're really, right. you know, yeah. and, uh, and he was fine. And, you know, my, my wife was, she probably had a list of like, you know, 15 things. I'm like, let's just boil it down to maybe three. Cause he's not going to process 15. <laughs> like, you know, if, if you see conflict go the other way. Um, but you know, he's a, he's a, a light haired, light skinned, skinny white kid. Um, and he, he gets a pass on a lot of things. Um, you know, and, and he has friends of, of color and different ethnicities and, and he sees that sometimes they don't. Um, and he has his problem with, you know, he, he's a kid who, who wants to make sure that authority operates the right way. Um, so how do you how do you balance that? I mean, why because what I'm getting at is is that we all need you said it in the beginning, we all need allies. You know, we need people to we need networks, we need um, you know, uh people to collaborate with. Um does this type of disruption, this type of strife, these issues, does it make it harder to collaborate or does it kind of or 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 look for allies or does it kind of drive us to do that more? I think it drives us to to do that more and to be more um, thoughtful in choosing with whom you're going to collaborate um, mm-hmm. and network because you just, as you say, there are only so many hours in the day and it is exhausting. It's it's tiring, physically and emotionally, just draining. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you make a calculus about who you're who you're going to try to do that with, but I um, and I and you can't. I don't think. Um, do it without partnership. And so I, um, I shy away from, despite the fact that this is called the allies podcast, I mm-hmm. think that, no, it's okay. um, that it's more, uh, cause ally feels sort of passive to me. Mm-hmm. And so I need somebody on the field with me who's willing to, to roll up his or her sleeves get on the field, get in the trenches and partner with me to, to make a difference in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and I think that, and, and I, I believe that that is what um, not everybody, but some people mean by, by ally, but it is all about yeah. in my mind uh, being judicious and who you select uh, to, to walk down a particular path with um, um for for change in a particular area and making a determination up front and doing it more quickly than maybe you would have done it before because you just don't have the time or the energy um, yeah. or the inclination quite frankly it's um, a lot of that is in short supply now you just um, you're just trying to make it make a determination and see who 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 you're willing to to walk down that path with yeah. And, and so that, again, so that you can learn together because we don't, <laughs> I don't have all the answers. I don't know. Um, and so I think it's, there, there's great value there. I mean, we've been having the discussions at work that we have never had mm-hmm. people, nobody, uh, probably not, 
my guess is probably 99% of the people in the, in the in our company who have been having these discussions, and we've been very deliberate about encouraging these discussions in teams. And when I had mm-hmm. it, uh, the discussion with my team um, about diversity and inclusion and kind of starting with um, just just the, the upheaval and everything that was going on in the strife in the United States, I mean, it's a global group. Uh, so things manifest differently in different parts of the world. But um, at that time, that first discussion, um, I, you know, came to the table basically saying I had no idea. I don't <laughs> have the answers. Yeah. Um, I'm not being prescriptive. We are just having a conversation that I have never had in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And so I had that discussion with um, with the team about this was encouraged um, by a uh, kind of a charge from our CEO about, you know, what can we do? You know, you can't boil the ocean. What can we do internally mm. within our company to, to uh, improve the culture and be true to our cultural beliefs? Uh, and um, how can we make that better? And uh, the second part was, you know, what can we do in our communities as, as well? Yeah. So the, that kind of framed up the discussion. Uh, for us and but we had to start somewhere <laughs> and it and it really wasn't um you know what can we do you can't really attack the do no. until you understand the what and then what people are feeling and just what are you thinking about that so having that conversation at, at uh the first time was quite interesting and and enlightening and it was it was um it was slow for people to, <laughs> to, to kind of jump in um, yeah. And and I, you know, and I acknowledge it. I again, I, I was comfortable with uh, some of the silence because it gave people an opportunity to think about um, how they wanted to engage. And, and quite frankly, everybody didn't. They were on the call, oh, yeah. but they didn't engage. Uh, and so that was the first. And you know, we've had subsequent discussions, and, and that and that changed, and we will continue um, as we're going on our journey here internally. Um, well, it. It's funny when you do because you you the first person that that said that said it that way. But um, I try to end the podcast by asking two questions, and you just raise them. Um, and it's it's so what and now what, and you can't answer the now what until you get until you really kind of reflect on on well what does it all mean? You know what is this thing, and then what does it all mean? So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that on you. I'm gonna ask you right now. With all of this this disruption, whether it's COVID and the fact that it stopped a lot of other distractions that people have, there's no sports, there's not a lot of new entertainment. You know, you have this this audience that is stuck at home. They don't have a lot of things to distract them, and they see this. They see these things happening. Um, so what? What does that cause? What's the opportunity? What's the the premise is it like the 1960s is it something different um what do you think is happening right now i mean that's an interesting way to frame it because i do believe that just as a society we are bombarded with so much information Mm -hmm. uh, it's so easy to get um that you have to be kind of intentional about turning it off Um, and, but it's, it's out there. And then you add on top of it, the kind of restrictions of uh, what we normally, what we're used to and our various outlets of whether it's, you know, 
going to a baseball game or coaching soccer, um, you know, you can't watch anything on not much. Um, that's sort of changed, you know, with the, with the fake fans and everything in the background, baseball and, mm-hmm. and, and tennis and, and all of that. But initially there was nothing. And so all that you saw was this, uh, this intense emotion that was, that was negative and, and it was so visceral and it was, um, on the one hand, it was draining and exhausting. On the other hand, it was exhilarating in terms of just recognizing and appreciating the resilience yeah. of people and our, our, our nation. Um, but, you know, how do you take that um, and that access to this nonstop information stream and people's ability to to go within their their channel let's say mm. and their pipeline of information and how do you what do you do with it and I, i'm not so sure that i know but what i do know is that you have to start i think with uh, changing maybe one person at a time or mm. or helping one person at a time how can i make a difference in one person's life. And if with all that is going on in terms of uh, change that people want to see, and it can come in any different um, areas, different arenas. Mm -hmm. um, So pick one uh, and where can you make a difference? And so just making sure, for instance, that's important to me. um, There there are a number of things that are, but, but the, the, the franchise and the vote uh, and making mm. sure that, um, that that is to the extent I have my piece and everybody has something that they can do to, mm-hmm. uh, to protect um, the right to vote for somebody that you do that. And so, you know, volunteering to help people um, register to vote and to make sure that they understand how um, things work is, yeah. is one thing um, that, uh, that I'm doing, but, and, and that I would encourage other people, uh, to do, but just, you know, sort of going back to the, so, you know, what can you do? And I, I really don't have any extraordinary answer other than, uh, being able to change one person at a time, which sometimes maybe can change, um, and, um, be multiplied into something more. Um, but if you focus on one, where can you make a difference? Because everybody can, um, and at least uh, a, a single life, and maybe more than that. What can mm-hmm. you What can you do? And then you may think bigger, and, and in the different ways of of making change um, uh, at the government level, um, aside from your vote, because that one vote makes a difference, which uh, we all knew and know. But mm-hmm. um, it, it's that that reality has um, come to manifest in a way that's uh, that's quite compellingly different than in other time, any other time I think in our lifetimes that um, yeah. recognize that now, um, but just that one uh, step and that one person, and what? then all of a sudden you recognize just how much uh, power and influence you actually have, uh, and how you can change um, so much more than you think you can, um, but taking that one step sometimes is all people need to do, and not trying as they say boil the ocean and figure out 
every mm. answer because you, you nobody has it. Well, um, but 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 also it's it kind of goes back to what your mom did, right? Which was that you know she she did her prep work in August, and then September through June, she was there for a small collection of children. Yep. And she yeah, was there. She true. rotated through each one of them. <laughs> she didn't say, I'm going to go impact the lives of, you know, thousands of children. She picked 15 to 30 over the course of a year, every year. <laughs> That's you know, true. Just kept churning it out. Same thing with your dad. And I think that that compound impact of doing it, um, the tenacity of it, you know, just the 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 commitment of it. You know, I think that's what Eric Holder was saying was – it's not a uh, it's not a one and done thing. You know, these are things that we we have to get in the habit of protecting our democracy. We have to get into the habit of, you know, encouraging people and letting them know that that one little vote that they don't think is that consequential has a huge impact. Um, That's right. But it, but it sounds like you grew up that way. It's kind of like intrinsic to who your you are and and who your 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 family has been. Is you know pick the thing that you're good at and keep doing it and kind of compound have have the compound impact of doing it over time. Yes, and I think that's right. And then, you know, there are so many people, um, people's lives, I think, who were changed by my parents who in turn um, are doing the same thing mm -hmm. um, and are, are changing lives, whether it's their children or uh, other people's children or um, going into, um, you know, their, their doctors and their lawyers and their policemen mm -hmm. um, and their, their construction workers and their coaches. Um, but they want to make a difference in someone's life and they recognize um, what somebody did for them. And I, you know, I can't speak for them, so I, I don't know whether uh, just how um, consequential uh, my parents' actions were in their decisions. But, but you know that it's vast and it's wide uh, in terms of the impact that they had on on the planet. It, yeah, if somebody's coming back thirty years after to tell you how great their first grade teacher was, it's a pretty good teacher. Yeah, you know, if you're coming back because you know that your your coach or your mentor uh, essentially kind of put you on a path, exposed you to a path and you delivered. I can, I can name, you know, every one of those teachers, I can name every one of those mentors. Um, but I bet your, your mom and dad didn't think of themselves as that influential. They just did what they did. No, I think that's absolutely, absolutely right. And they loved it. Yeah. And they loved, they loved what they did. And, um, and you could feel that, too, and that that energy and that passion and the the dedication it's just it's contagious and you you want to replicate it uh, for yourself and for others and so um, even if you're not conscious about it you are very deliberate about um, those things that um, for which you have a passion and how you want to to use them uh, use those gifts that you have, um, and to, to impact somebody's life. Yeah. Well, you know, look, I'll, I'll end this way. Um, you know, we always talked about, you, you know, in order to, in order to have an impact, you need to be in the room. And, you know, if you're not in the room, it's, it's a lot harder to, 
to have that influence. Um, I'm, I'm amazed at how well you do that. And the fact that when you're there, you, um, you know how to push people in a positive way. You know how to, to make sure that we are accountable, not necessarily on, you know, issues related to, you know, race relations, et cetera, but just on things that are important, you know, ethical behavior, compliance, um, you know, the, the issues around business. Uh, I was always impressed with that because you did it with an enormous amount of um, kindness and, uh, and, and empathy. So um, that's why I wanted to have you on here because, uh, you know, you don't think necessarily of the law as a, a place where you, you have an enormous amount of empathy. You almost think of it the other way. It's like a, you know, it's a cut or dried cut and dry type of thing. Yeah. So I want to thank you for that because I've learned a lot about um about business, about how to inspire people from the way you behave, the way you act. Well thank you, Carmen. It uh that's that's nice. That's nice. That's nice to hear. And um it was a pleasure working um with with you as as well. And I think a um authenticity really counts and I appreciate that so much as does humor <laughs> uh, and um, actually getting through the day and, and solving problems uh, with people who are passionate and who are compassionate and uh, who uh, don't take themselves too seriously and are focused on doing the right thing and treating people with integrity um, and respect is it's just been really important to me through the years and um, working with you uh, was that type of experience, uh, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, just personified. And so, um, oh, you, uh, you, you had it so close. If you hadn't said me, I was going to say, if you, if you hadn't brought me up now, it's going to sound awful. It's going to sound really like, you know, self, uh, aggrandizing, but what you just did in the last bit, when you talked about being authentic and you talked about bringing in humor and, and working together, that's your mom's advice. That's the mom advice. And you always talk about, you know, mom advice. I mean, that, yes, that just, yes. that's exactly it. Some of it's, 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 I say it all the time. It's kitchen table talk. It's like, it's the stuff you tell your kids it's the stuff people need to hear you know be kind and respectful you know take the work seriously but not yourself um so that's how i want to end because <laughs> you did it you, you kind of um you kind of grounded the whole thing um thank you so much royce thanks Carmen. I, I really enjoyed it um and i hope everybody else did too uh okay so that's all the time we have um Again, as always, uh, if you like this, uh, this podcast, let us know. And if you have questions or ways to improve it, uh, send me an email and we'll, uh, we're happy to adjust and think differently. And if you have people you think we should be talking to, uh, let us know about those people too. So that's all the time we have. Uh, I want to thank Royce for being here and we will talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.